0: My other principle that the team you build is the company you build, not the business plan you make. Because most business plans evolve and change. If you have the right team, they'll evolve and change to be much more ambitious. And so there's a change in assumptions that's getting more people with experience to discard their comfort zones and join ambitious startups. Welcome to Startup Health Now, where we celebrate the entrepreneurs and innovators reimagining the future of health. I'm India Edwards, social media and editorial lead here at Startup Health. Back in January, we hosted an interactive fireside chat with longtime friend of Startup Health, Vinod Kosla, the founder of venture capital firm Khosla Ventures. Vinod shared his wisdom and insights about health industry disruption, business model innovation, and the role of failure in success. Now, the visionary billionaire is back for part two of his fireside chat, where he joins our co-founder, Unity Stokes, to talk about achieving health moonshots, how COVID opened more doors to innovation and experimentation, finding societal impact without expertise, and identifying your long-term and base camp vision. Stick around.
1: Today, we're hoping to dig into really three topics with you. Um, The first, broadly, achieving health moonshots in in a post-pandemic world. The second topic, really, around building uh, teams for achieving health moonshots. And then the third topic around collaborative innovation. Um, So just to kick things off, welcome. Um, First, where are we? We're... we're, uh, six months in from the last time we spoke um, how is how is this moment different how are you thinking differently today uh, over the past six months?
0: you know frankly uh, six months ago we thought we hoped we'd be where we are. Uh, I would only caution we aren't sure where we are today in this pandemic. Uh, the way I like to explain it, when the virus entered human circulation, whether it was via lab or escape or animals to humans, it had an R-naught of two, two and a half. It was a relatively inefficient virus. The, the, and it evolved in the UK variants and others to R-naught of four to five and today, the Delta variant is somewhere between an R naught of five to eight. Just for comparison, uh, a virus like measles has an R naught of 14. So, the, in startup lingo, uh, what we saw a year and a half ago was the virus do an MVP product in humans um, with a relatively poor R naught. And it's been optimizing itself, improving itself. And so uh, without being overly either detailed on this or going too deep, I'd say we should be cautious. We think there's lots of room for the virus to optimize itself uh, and it's or not, uh, And it's other features, um, it, uh, but we also have among our entrepreneurs, many of the tools to fight the virus. So full so, circle, it's going to be a battle. Uh, we don't quite know where it'll go, but we should be prepared. I'm more optimistic today as we return to normal, then, but I'm also more cautious than most people. So, you
1: know, as as we've talked over the past decade, one, one word, you often don't uh, use as caution. You often talk about risk. Um, I'm, uh, but I've also noticed you, you've you been incredibly consistent and, and stable in your philosophy and, and your thinking uh, over the past decade as, as we've talked. How have you recalibrated your, your personal long-term vision for
0: a post-pandemic world? So my view is, my view for 2030 hasn't changed at all. And we can talk about that, uh, not one bit. What has happened is both good and bad. So I like to tell entrepreneurs, be obstinate about your vision, be flexible about your tactics. And tactics respond to the environment fairly rapidly. Vision, doesn't respond as quickly, it's more resilient. Uh, it's like saying, if you're going to Mount Everest, your goal is the same, you keep that in sight, but the path you take changes based on weather conditions and other things. So I would say tactics have changed uh, from a year, 15 months or 18 months ago, um, but a lot of it is good, Uh, though the pandemic was horrible for for our planet uh, and humanity, it has been very good in other ways for entrepreneurs. And it's been very good in the following way, very specific way. You know, the world was pretty comfortable with where it was going. I would say it was relatively solidified uh, with the set of assumptions about how healthcare works specifically experts had a lot to say and they prevented because of that view a lot of innovations. Um, most experts uh, in, in, you know have a lot of experience but when you're trying to innovate Experience is a bias and can often be a negative bias. And that was holding back innovators like our audience here today. Um, what I find has happened is many more assumptions about the healthcare system are ungelled and open for questioning. Uh, the most obvious ones, of course, are things like. Um, you know, can remote care work? 15 months ago, 90% of providers would say it isn't as effective. Today, 90% have tried it and most like it. So the world has ungelled much more to innovation, but there are other changes in assumptions. So There was an assumption a drug or a vaccine would take 10 years. Do we believe today that it's possible to take only a year to get a vaccine? Absolutely. So that's another good thing.
1: Do you think that's uh, so, freed us up? Do you think that's freed the healthcare industry up to to think um, more aggressively about the possibilities of innovation?
0: I absolutely believe so and the moonshots are still, uh, to speak to your theme, relatively rare, the number of people willing to take moonshots is much larger in my view. So one would have expected more conservatism in response to the pandemic, and there's a little bit of that. But I actually think the number of people who wanna do more meaningful things with their life has actually increased this shock to the system has in my experience had more entrepreneurs say, I don't wanna work on incremental things. I wanna work on something that really makes a difference. Uh, Now I may be a little biased because those are the kinds of entrepreneurs we love. We fundamentally don't invest in incremental technologies and approaches. And so I may be self-selecting some but I feel more people want more meaningful innovation than just building an incremental business. That can happen much more rapidly than a more m- meaningful mean- moonshot.
1: So how, um, what are some examples of how you've changed your tactics given what you just said? Are you, are you investing more more frequently? Um, I know you're you're doing more with SPACs, for example, just on the funding side or finance side. Um, are there specific examples of how you're leaning into this post-COVID moment and, and tweaking your tactics in a way that you think may speed up innovation for where you're trying to go by 2030?
0: So my view is, at least for us, we always went for the larger innovation. Uh, You know, I have this sort of belief that most investors and I don't consider myself an investor. Most investors reduce the risk of their investments to the point where the probability of success goes up, but the consequences of success are less consequential. Um, We as a firm have always said, uh, we, we don't my, mind a higher risk of failure, but we want the consequences of success to be much more consequential. And, and frankly, neither of these two strategies is right or wrong. It's we do one thing, other investors do something different. And my only thing with entrepreneurs is pick the investor who matches where you want to go.
1: Yeah. Um, and, and I know you, you also you think about teams in, in the same way in, in terms of how you build teams, um, at least the teams you you invest in. Um, I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit about um, team dynamics and, and how you factor investors into one element of, of the team.
0: So um, you know, I have a fundamental view that there's a massive difference between a zero million dollar revenue company and a zero billion dollar revenue company. The numerical number is the same in revenue, which is at startup. All startups generally have zero revenue. Uh, But there's a cultural and attitudinal difference between somebody trying to build a $0 million company and a $0 billion company. It, uh, My other principle I use, and these are all principles, there is a difference between a $0 million startup and a $0 billion startup, and we can tell what entrepreneurs are aiming for. The next principle that relates to this and shows up, in entrepreneurs is my other principle that the team you build is the company you build, not the business plan you make. Because most business plans evolve and change. If you have the right team, they'll evolve and change to be much more ambitious. And so uh, I I would say that's a big difference. And more and more people in traditional business, and I've seen this, saying, hey, I thought a vaccine could only be done by a big company. And guess what? Despite all the other things, Moderna and, and BioNTech were the two sources of our vaccine. And so there's a change in assumptions that's getting more people with experience to discard their comfort zones and join ambitious startups, Um, you know, we can talk about aging. It's a beautiful area, Uh, increasing health spans, for example, avoiding disease um, uh, is just one example, but there's many, many areas that say we can radically change the outcomes. Uh, So another way to put it is, you know, Two years ago, almost everything I saw, and this is not what I did, uh, people started with what's the business, which is fine question to ask if you're trying to build a business. Mm -hmm. We always preferred, still do, people who say, how do I change healthcare dramatically? That's a very different question than how do I build a business? So let me give you a very, very specific example. We've seen a number of autism startups. It's well compensated. You can get up to $75,000 per patient for ABA therapy. You can monetize that. You could start hiring trainer therapists and start providing that service. That's a good business. I've not seen an autism startup say something that I'm very interested in. How do you know what's going on in the brain brain of the patient when you're doing therapy and can you modify that? So if you take a radical approach to measuring brain activity, you might actually dramatically improve the therapy, not just the billing mechanism. And I think that's a very stark example. Almost nobody doing that is taking this radical approach. I have very, very specific ideas of how I would do an autism therapy startup that would change the practice of therapy and actually improve it dramatically versus just say, hey, there's a billing code for this. Let's go monetize it. Sorry, I keep.
1: This is great. So so going back to what you were saying about building the team that is then going to to focus on something like autism in a radically innovative way, for example, Um, how do you identify that so early or at the beginning? What are you looking for in the entrepreneurs, the difference between a $0 million company versus $0 billion company in terms of their thinking? What are you looking for?
0: So, the most important question I ask is where do you want to be in five years or 10 years? You know, it's important what you do the next year, the next two, the next three, but much more important is where's your true north? Where's your Mount Everest? What are you shooting for? Uh, I can usually tell the difference. And the second thing, second question becomes, Who's the team you're hiring for what you're shooting at because you're not gonna change your founders in the next five years. Founders are founders. So this is where the team you build is the company you build comes in. Uh, It's pretty easy to tell who's being ambitious, who has an ambitious vision. Now, interestingly, a lot of people with ambitious vision don't have pragmatic tactics. So you go start with people with ambitious vision and then say, will they learn to have pragmatic tactics uh, to do the first year, the the pivots, the tire, the the turns, twists, and turns in a path to the top? And is is um, is that
1: how you go about thinking about more of the holistic approach to a team you're looking to invest in, meaning the the team dynamics? Um, Who's complemented or around that founder set, that founder team? Um, what are you What are you looking for there in terms of the big vision, but complemented by by what or or who?
0: So, uh, let me give you some fairly specific, actionable examples. A lot of investors look for complete teams. Right? That's much less important. I'd rather have an incomplete team than an average complete team. Somebody just hired a CEO or a whatever, a head of biz dev or something just to complete the team to look good to investors. And, and that lowers the risk for investors because they know who they're investing. In. Now, I'd rather take the higher risk approach and say, I want a team that's brilliant, but it doesn't have to be complete. That's willing to hire great people. So they are self-aware in that sense of what they know and what they don't know and what kind of expertise will de-risk their opportunity and want to acquire it as opposed to have on paper a complete team. So that's one very specific example. These are, of course, nuanced. so I could talk on and on about these factors, um, but you, you can tell when you have it.
1: And how, how involved do, do you or, or your firm get involved in, in terms of building teams? Do you leave it up to the companies, or are you guiding them along the journey? How are you influencing
0: oh, uh, that? I probably spend more of my time helping our companies recruit than any other single activity I do. It's probably the largest chunk of my calendar in any given year. Uh, so we sit alongside them, we talk about candidates, we talk about needs, we, I personally interview candidates. There's a rare week um, I don't get on a call with four or five recruiters in a week on five or four or five different searches. That's pretty rare. I'm always on these weekly monitoring calls for searches helping people build teams or go after superstars who might not otherwise wanna join a team. I'm
1: wondering if you could take us back to the, the early days of Sun. I know you put together one of the, the legendary teams, the first 20. 20 team members there were all really extraordinary in, in some way. Um, how did you do that? Could you unpack that a little in terms of uh, how much time did that take? You know, um, how you went about recruiting the talent, how you found them. Um, anything you can share that might be relevant for for the future as well for these these emerging companies
0: that are building their own teams. So here's what I would say. Um, First, there's a couple of pieces I've written that are on our website. Um, If Hesam, my chief of staff is on this call, he can put these in the chat or we can send them to you later. One something called, how do you engineer the gene pool of a company? A second piece is uh, the art and labor of hiring. If you're a technical founder, a PhD in biotech or something, how do you know what's a good marketing guy? Those are very hard questions, and the answers are not very obvious. So, you know, if you're looking for a biz dev guy, somebody may say, hey, what are all the deals this person has done? That's a reasonable thing to, to do and say, we'll bring that skill set to us. I ask an additional question, just one of 10 things I could point out, but let me not harp on it. I say, how will this person who we are hiring for VISDA make everybody else on the team better by asking really penetrating questions and improve the quality of the dialogue internally at the Monday staff meeting or whatever regular forum you have? So. How how will they fit into a team? How open will they be to criticism ideas? The best people love critique. Is this person gonna be open to that? There's ways to tell early. Will they improve other people on the executive team? Uh, Will they be a magnet for recruiting? All these things play in a big way. Uh, In fact, you know, most people underestimate how valuable a magnet can be to recruiting the rest of the team. So, I, you know, again, there's a lot of nuance here, but- uh,
1: There's two, two frankly, questions. Uh,
0: th- th- that's one of the ways in which I feel we really try and help our companies after we've invested by helping them with all these questions. And in each one is context-specific.
1: So two, two questions that came in on the chat that are relevant, I just want to weave, weave them in. Rachel Trobman asks, what is your take on recruiters? And have you had more successes uh, there or utilizing existing networks?
0: So I find recruiters can be valuable and more valuable than just using your network if you use them the right way. Now you hire a recruiter, they're gonna explain look very broadly, more broadly than you can look yourself. So you have a larger pool to select from. The bad side of recruiters is their job is to get a recruiting assignment done. So they want somebody hired who's good enough. My view is good isn't good enough, great is barely acceptable. And so it depends on the entrepreneurs to define what they're looking for in a much more nuanced way. And that's where I spend an incredible amount of time. I hate a standard recruiting spec because it sort of defines God, Mm -hmm. and you never find that person. It doesn't say what trade-offs are more important than others?
1: So I wanted to shift shift gears to a theme we started to touch on the last time we spoke six months ago around collaborative innovation. and, and something you said, uh, last time um, really kept me up um, at, you know, so to speak, and, and probably because it it rang so true, but also um, because we believe that if we can crack the code on this, uh, this concept of collaborative innovation, um, we can speed up progress. And I think you said something like um, collaboration between startups and, and large organizations is largely BS, um, unless it's in an opportunity for, you know, at the moment of scale. Um, but I wonder if we could focus on another element of collaborative innovation. We're seeing such progress in across different types of innovation, whether it's AI, robotics, MRNA, um, blockchain, um, there just seems to be a a wave of innovation. Is there an opportunity for for health transformers, for health entrepreneurs to have more unique types of collaboration
0: cross-sector? Yeah, absolutely. So the first thing I would say to people who rely on the traditional kind of big companies for collaboration that no large innovation I've run into in the last 40 years has been done by somebody who really knew the area they were innovating. And this again goes back to in radical innovate, incremental innovators, can have experience in a domain more often than not, radical innovators have very little experience in a domain, but they use first principle thinking to define the domain. So no matter where you look, you know, it isn't Lockheed or Boeing people or Airbus people who innovate space, it's companies like SpaceX and Rocket Labs, it's not Hotel industry people like Hyatt or Hilton who innovate um, hotels, it's Airbnb, which probably has more rooms every night than Hilton has. Um, It's not Walmart who retails, uh, who innovates retailing, it's um, Amazon in biotech, for example, You know, I I, when I joined Kleiner, uh, Genentech was still a young company. Most pharmaceutical companies didn't believe in biotechnology, so it had to take an associate at Kleiner to leave and start Genentech. Um, So Bob Swanson was an associate at Kleiner when he left and started that company based on research, and we've seen that more recently with BioNTech and Moderna. Now, there are things larger companies do well and using them for that and Pfizer helped BioNTech scale. Now, interestingly, Moderna didn't really need that help. So it's clear to me BioNTech didn't have the confidence to do it themselves. They could have and probably retained a lot more of the economics and found the right partner later and built a more valuable company. I haven't looked at the market cap difference between BioNTech and Moderna, but I suspect Moderna did better on that front. So that's sort of this notion of traditional collaboration and you don't wanna be held back by traditional large partners and the bias of the very large partners. Um, Now, the kind of collaboration you're talking about is what I call diversity of thinking in a company. There is hardly an area in biotechnology that AI can't help it. And so should you have very diverse kinds of people on your team? Absolutely, there's new tools in in robotics, in physics, in, you know, whether you're doing an open trans kind of robotics startup where you're radically changing the cost of testing or doing cell engineering with AI vision and laser precision, it's physics. So a company like seleno is using physics, biology, stem cell differentiation and AI right. to do cell engineering effectively. So these cross-disciplinary things or diverse types of backgrounds help tremendously. And I would give you a word of caution here to your entrepreneurs. They generally do a very good, uh, good job if they're a deep domain expert, uh, as Carlos was asking of knowing what to recognize in people in their domain. I find if a biologist is hiring an AI person, they do a relatively poor job because they all look the same. The same is true when hiring a CFO or other functions. And so being very picky and saying what's the best state of the art and knowing how to approach that problem of assembling a diverse team or the diverse collaboration is is very critical for founders, especially people who, you know, in this there's, there's extrapolation of the past startups and inventing the future kinds of startups. And they're very different. When you're extrapolating the past, you can hire for experience. When you're inventing the future, you actually don't want that. And so you want the best to breed people in each area who keep constantly improving the quality of your thinking. And that's a different kind of um, team building. So I know
1: you you are a prolific healthcare investor, but you also invest in, in other areas. It, why, why not focus just on healthcare is one of the reasons because you can leverage the innovation that you're investing in in other areas and, and bring it back to, to healthcare? Do you think we'll see more healthcare investors investing outside of healthcare, for example, to try to leap forward?
0: Well, you know, I do what I do because I like hard problems and I like sort of cool technology solutions to hard problems much more than I like investing per se. Uh, if I had to pick between the two, I'm very clear, I don't wanna be an investor. <laughs> I wanna help create interesting innovations that are hard and impactful. I'm very clear on that. Are you getting less,
1: uh, I know there was a lot of controversy around some of those papers, um, You know, from from the provider community and others, um, over the over the years, are you getting less pushback in terms of AI assisted care or AI or technology um, replacing in some cases um, providers? What What's, how, how has the reception changed from six or seven years ago to say the last 12 months?
0: Um, I think people are much more accepting. So- I think it was 11 years ago at a Rock Health meeting that I said, AI will do 80% of what doctors do. And I got totally skewered for saying that. Almost everybody who skewered me is now agreeing with me. Uh, I think it was 2011 that I first wrote this piece and gave that talk. Nobody even debates whether in in imaging uh, AI systems can't do better. In fact, I think it was last year that JAMA said they're no longer accepting publications that prove then that an algorithm is better than humans um, at task A or B or C. Uh, now that's JAMA saying algorithms will be better than humans in radiology or ultrasound or pick your favorite. And so, um, uh, I think uh, I, I, I think that will that's absolutely established now. Now, there are people who are still fighting the notion that uh, an AI can't do oncology or primary care. Uh, I'm a hundred percent convinced. It's only a matter of time. And it's only a matter of a few passionate entrepreneurs trying to make these things happen.
1: Hmm. I wonder if we could spend our, our last um, few minutes together talking about an issue around um, mental health. Um, you know, it's it's obviously been a very challenging year uh, for so many around the world. Uh, the past year and a half still is, um, and. For entrepreneurs, you know the the issue of mental health, the challenges of the long long term ups and downs, um, the resiliency required. Um, I wonder if you have any thoughts to share on lessons learned over the years around balance, or or how um, to advise entrepreneurs to to maintain their own mindset and mental health along the the grueling journey of building something great under extraordinary circumstances.
0: You know, I don't know if I have any specific advice other than saying, if you're mission driven and take the long view and realize this is a marathon to your Mount Everest goal, it's easier to sustain yourself. You know, there's a presentation on our website that I wrote in 1986, where after I'd started Sun. And it's called The Entrepreneurial Roller Coaster where the highs are high and the lows are low. Yeah. Uh, now, you read a lot about the highs of entrepreneurship in the press. You don't hear as much about the lows. But even in 1986, I realized entrepreneurship has a lot of lows. It's a lonely thing. It's a, You're alone, it's very ambiguous. It's hard to decide what is the right way to make decisions. It's hard to decide whose opinion to trust, uh, whose opinion to take. Um, So what I would say is if you have a belief system, a religion about your mission, what you're trying to do, and you have a good supportive team that also believes in your mission, It's much easier to sustain through the loads. But the other piece of thing I would say is this is a marathon. So, you know, you sort of have to do things in a more sustainable way Uh, as an entrepreneur and good, good mentors can advise you on that. It's easier for somebody on the outside who cares about you and has seen these patterns to advise you than you might yourself realize. So looking for help is important.
1: What do you say to, to all those innovators and entrepreneurs out there, many listening, who may be on a, what most people probably tell them every day, that's impossible, um, that's crazy, that's not gonna work um constantly be told no you know what 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 words of wisdom would would you share with those those health transformers those innovators that may be told no a thousand times already
0: well i would only suggest if you have religion about your belief system about what you're trying to do it's easier now the other thing that helps is having other examples of other people who were told the same thing persevered. And that's why I love to say, you know, space wasn't innovated, the cars wasn't innovated by somebody from General Motors and uh, Volkswagen. In fact, the Department of Energy in 2010 did a report on the number of cars 25 years later in electric cars in the US in 2035. Tesla was told they're crazy, they'll go bankrupt. Go back and read all the stories from 2011, 12, 13. You can't build a car company without car execs, executives. By 2015 or 2016, it exceeded the DOE's 2035 forecast for the number of electric cars all by itself. And this is where punditry 3 goes wrong because the folks in the traditional auto industry knew too much to know what was not possible, but entrepreneurs did not know. So have that belief system. Let me recommend a couple of books because one of the questions was in books. Yes. I find a book like Loon Shots very motivating. So I'd recommend every entrepreneur take the time to sort of believe why the. Impossible is not one step to possible. You go from impossible to improbable to possible, but unlikely to possible, probable to likely to yeah. have it happen. This gradation of probability change is what an entrepreneur does over time. And, and Loon Shots is a very good book. We actually just
1: had uh, the author on um, our previous um, Fireside Chats. So we'll post a link to that for anyone who wants to watch that.
0: Yeah. I'd, I'd highly recommend that book. And during the lows, it can be motivational. Uh, the second thing I'd say is how you run the culture within the your startup does affect these things. And I'd recommend a book called uh, No Rules, Rules by Reed Hasting uh, on how to approach the culture in the team, how to make the hard trade off So I've talked a lot. So let me stop there.
1: Thanks for listening to Startup Help Now. Startup Health invests in health transformers from around the world who are committed to achieving audacious health moonshots. If you want to learn how you can join this community of entrepreneurs, or if you want to connect with one of our 350 companies, go to startuphealth.com. If you'd like to learn how you can invest in our Health Moonshot Rolling Fund in collaboration with
0: AngelList, go to healthmoonshots.com. Thanks for listening to Startup Health Now. We'll be back next week.